Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the financial and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, Amy Grice, VMD, MBA, is going to talk to us about can you afford an associate? Dr. Grice practiced for more than 20 years before starting veterinary business consulting. She advises veterinarians and practice owners on a wide variety of projects and challenges. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Decor Veterinary Products. Welcome, Dr. Grice. It's so nice to be here again. Well, we love having you on here. We always learn something great when you're on here. And I, I think this is a really important topic because um, I think you had mentioned in one of our other episodes that there are a lot of veterinarians looking for associates, a lot of job openings, and we don't have a lot out there. So what happens when a vet feels like they're doing more than he or she can handle? And they feel like they want to grow a practice into a new associate. So what's maybe wrong with that scenario when you're looking for an associate? Well, it's really hard for people when they have accumulated enough clients and enough work to really be working beyond their comfort level. Like, They have too much work for one veterinarian. And when they get up around the amount of work for one and a half veterinarians, most um, practice owners start thinking, man, I should hire somebody. I should get an associate. And they think, well, well, but I'm only at one and a half. I'd need to grow the practice. And so what's a little hard about that is that it can be really difficult to attract an associate to a job right now unless you have a competitive salary. There are so many high paying uh, jobs in the small animal field with no emergency service and a three day work week and, um, you know, getting starting at $100,000. So to get even close to being competitive, you know, you really have to be able to offer an associate 70, 75,000 to even get them to, to um, interact with you at all. Um, and so being able to afford that for a practice that has, say, work enough for one and a half veterinarians, that owner of that practice has got to be ready to uh, give up some of their own pay in order to have a better quality of life. So they're gonna have less money themselves in order to have this, um, you know, more time for their own life. Now, when you think about growing a practice with an associate, if you were able to find an associate who had a new skill set, a new profit center that you could um, build your client base and have people like, wow, we haven't had that opportunity before. Say to have somebody fully trained in acupuncture, chiropractic, maybe with some advanced dentistry skills, or even somebody who's gone to all the ISELP or even part of the ISELP courses so that they have some additional lameness diagnostic skills and imaging skills. If you could parlay that into more work and more clients fairly swiftly, you might be able to grow your practice um, within a reasonable time frame uh, into a two-doctor practice. Most of the time, it's a little tough to do that. Yeah, and 
again, as as you had mentioned, it's it's hard to bring an associate into a practice when you know there there isn't quite the work for two complete people. And I like the idea of uh, of bringing somebody in that maybe has some skill set. Yeah, if you can do that, it's a it's a wonderful way to um, grow your practice in new directions. And oftentimes those particular skill sets, uh, acupuncture, chiropractic, dentistry skills, are those that have a little bit more profitability to them. And so it might be easier to pay for that new associate. One of the things I do want doctors to think about when they're feeling like they just have too much work and they're feeling overwhelmed and like they can't do another thing. Uh, maybe they're not taking new clients already. They're they're looking through their clients and saying, well, that's a D plus or an F client. I'm going to just not take care of that person anymore. Those are ways to, to think about it. But another thing you can do is to hire an assistant. And if you already have an assistant, hire a second one because it's amazing the efficiencies when you think about the things that you may be doing as a veterinarian that don't require a veterinary degree. That could be filling out lab forms or driving your truck, cleaning your truck, stocking your truck. Um, there are so many um, opportunities when you say you're going to do a bunch of lameness work you could have one of your assistants setting up the x-ray machine while the other assistant was scrubbing joints for some joint injections or even helping you do some diagnostic blocking on a horse, jogging the horse for you, you know, after you block it. Um, and then you also have that much more efficient time at the end of the appointment when one of your assistants is perhaps making up an invoice while the other is cleaning up all the things that you got out, and you are in conversation with the client explaining what your findings were and what the next steps are. And so what you may find is rather than hiring an associate, if you were able to hire a second or even your first, if you don't have one yet, um, a lay person to help you with those tasks. Um, another thing, another thing to think about if you're at the end of your rope is either joining an emergency cooperative, or if you don't have one in your area, thinking about trying to form one. And you can form them with other solo practitioners or even with other small practices. Yeah. And usually the, the best way to go about that is for each of the veterinarians. So if you have two solo practices and one practice with three doctors, each of you takes you know, one night a week because there's five doctors in the in the rotation. Um, and so that's a huge way to take some pressure off yourself. Yeah, and just to let our listeners know, episode 18 of the Business of Practice, we had talked to Dr. Amanda McCleary about developing an emergency services uh, co-op. And they have, she has a very interesting take on how she started it and the types of practices that they have. She has a, a large animal mixed practitioner in with her, but it works well for the group that they have. And she said it's pretty much saved her sanity. So I, I would 
suggest that people could go back and listen to that uh, podcast episode 18 on with Dr. McCleary on that. She's a fabulous, uh, fabulous gal. I, I love hearing her stories about about that cooperative as well and learning what to do about a species that she hasn't you know, necessarily seen on an emergency. And they, um, they meet regularly for a meal, typically dinner, and they, they talk about different cases they've seen and different things. It's a, it adds a sense of camaraderie and of having a local sort of team or tribe to belong to. And so that's been a, a benefit that she has told me about that was unexpected. Yeah. And she had some great suggestions because she started this one. So she she has some great suggestions. If you don't have one in your area, it, she can offer you some some recommendations. I want to go back just a, a little bit because, unfortunately, we know there are still solo practitioners who have no help. They're they're they do everything themselves. I mean, they may have a spouse or someone uh, hired part time to do maybe some of the the office work, so to speak but they don't have an assistant. How do you find someone qualified? What, what do you need in this assistant? I know we have the American Association of Equine Veterinary Technicians and Associates, um, and they're a great group, but how do you find someone in your area that you could hire that would work for you like that? You know, it's interesting. One of my mentors, Andy Clark, always would say, whenever he met somebody, that gave exceptional customer service and was really on the ball, he would give them his business card and say, if you ever need a job, give me a call. Because really, when you get down to it, somebody who has uh, attention to detail, who knows how to make eye contact and talk to people and who's, you know, like tuned in, a person like that, you can teach people skills how to fill out a lab form or, but, you know, it's hard to teach people to care about their customer service. Now, all of us know that the person that's in the truck with us, who's going to, if they're going to handle horses for us, obviously needs to be horsey to, because their job is to keep you safe. Um, and so that's the kind of person that typically I used to find when I had was looking for assistance, I would find usually working in a barn. And they were already um, accustomed to working with a different, lot of different personalities of horses, uh, different levels of spookiness or or nastiness, shall we say. And, uh, and they weren't afraid of that. And so many times my assistants would come through that kind of a, a finding them at a barn um, and they would sometimes say, hey, uh, do you ever hire new assistants? And I say, yeah, absolutely. You can always, you know, put together a little resume of your work experience and leave it at the office. And the next time we're looking, maybe we'll give you a call. Um, and so some people are worried about hiring clients. And I would say that sometimes that is an issue that is a worry, but oftentimes it is not. Um, one of the important things to think about though as a practice owner is your policies about employees getting discounts for their own horses. 
Okay, so have a strong policy because what you don't want and what I hear people getting into trouble with with clients becoming their employees is that they want to work for the vet so they get all their stuff for free. That's not the that's not a good policy. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. And the IRS doesn't think so either because the law is you can only discount things 20%. Everything after that is taxable income to the employee. But again, I think that's a good point. There are a lot of, um, especially young women that I have met who loved doing working for the vets simply because they had six or seven horses of their own. And even that 20% mm-hmm. went a long way and they turned out they loved it. I mean, mm-hmm. loved doing the work. They loved learning. And so many of these young people are, are just, they're lifelong learners and they just haven't found their spot yet. Decra Veterinary Products is proud to sponsor Equimanagement's The Business of Practice podcast. Decra's equine product line includes Osphos, Clodronate Injection, Orthokine Vet IRAP 10 and 60, Osteocon PRP, Equidone Gel, Thumperidone, the Vetivex line of parenteral fluids, Phycox EQ Joint Supplement, and a comprehensive line of topical dermatologic products. The recent addition of Zymeta, Diaperone Injection, further expands Decra's equine offerings. For more information about Decra's products, please visit decra-us.com. Right. And what's really fun is when you have somebody who's been your assistant for a couple of years and they're just fabulous and spot on and they're always asking great questions. And then one day they say, "Um, I've applied to vet school. Will you write me in recommendation? And and that's super fun. And that that is wonderful. But then again, as you mentioned, you know, at the barns and, and just in your day to day practice, just kind of having your radar open to people that you like, that you would want to work with. And maybe if you have a good assistant already, they may have someone because they know who you are. They know what you like. Maybe they could have a a friend or someone else in the industry they know that would be a good fit. So that's a good point. A lot of people ask me, how will I know that I I'm afraid to hire somebody? I'm afraid I won't have the money to pay them. And so, you know, thinking about the economics of it and the money part of it is important. And But the thing to remember is if you start out with a part-time assistant, so say 20 hours a week, you're not going to end up needing to give that person benefits because they're part-time, nor will you end up having to give them overtime. So you can dip your toe in the water doing it that way. And yes, you'll need to pay payroll taxes for that person. So there will be a little bit of additional expense beyond their wages, but you won't have benefits or overtime to worry about. Now, the money that you need to have to pay that person is going to come from what is your profit. Okay, so you're going to have to produce more revenue by having this person or give up some profit that you're now taking home, but it's the efficiencies that you can get by having a person that's helping you 
and so that you're you're able to multitask, but because there's more than one of you doing things during the hours that you're working, your day will be shorter and you'll be so much more efficient that if you want to work longer and make more revenue, you'll be able to without killing yourself, without being exhausted. And it's amazing because the wages of an assistant are fairly low um, compared to that of a veterinarian, you may find that it's really pretty easy to hire somebody and afford them. And you're going to say, wow, why didn't I do that 10 years ago? You know, your life would be so much better. Every veterinarian I've talked to who has hired a first-time assistant Assistant. Mm -hmm. always said, oh my gosh, why didn't I do this years ago? Just exactly. Yeah. They say their life is simpler. They can delegate things. If they're good at delegating, Uh they can delegate tasks to them. You know, if it's an assistant that has the skill set, you know, and that's important when you're looking to hire, as you mentioned before. That's right. And the other thing, um, if you wake up one day and say, I'm going to get myself an assistant, that Dr. Grace, she convinced me. Now, before you put your want ad out there, it's important that you sit down and write down the list of tasks that you are going to have that person do. That could be drive the truck, take the truck to the car wash, clean the truck, restock the truck, um, get all your laboratory forms done. There's so many things that they can do. Um, But you need to make a list of all of them because you want to create a job description so that when the person says, so um, what's the job all about? That you already have that list. And then if there are tasks that they're going to do repetitively, like lab forms or filling out, um, you know, Coggins forms online and taking pictures and you know it's really fabulous if during a slow time in the winter or in say in Arizona if it's super hot and you're slow um, to write down what the whole system is um, for how you do those things because people say oh god I'm gonna have to train another one I just don't have time for this well if you have made a systems a systems manual. I know that sounds really businessy, but <laughs> if you have a list of how you do all the things that that have to get done with this person, um, they can refer to the list instead of asking you questions. You know, so try and get organized ahead of time, and you want to have those know what tasks they're going to do, and that way, when you're used to doing it all yourself. You've actually thought it through and written it down, which makes it 30 or 40 percent more likely you're actually going to do it. That's what research shows, writing it down. Yeah. Okay, so everyone listening to this is now going to write down, Dr. Grice convinced me to hire an assistant and here's what I need to do to make this successful. It it can't just be Dr. Grice convinced me. It's got to be and here's what I have to do in order to make this successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's great. Okay, well, um, is there anything else? I mean, we started talking about associates and we've kind of gone down to talking about assistants. 
But again, that's that's as an alternative. Is there anything else we need to talk about when you're trying to decide if you can afford an associate? Well, yes, because associates um, to attract one to your job, um, you need to be offering them a salary that's that's fairly robust. Um, gone are the days that you could offer forty-five or fifty thousand. That's not going to cut it. We're talking seventy, seventy-five. Uh, thousand plus an opportunity to earn a production bonus. Most of um, most practices offer benefits, a stipend toward health insurance or health insurance, uh, continuing education benefits. Most practices are at a level of fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars for CE every year. Uh, they pay licenses and uh, memberships, AVMA, AAEP, they pay PLIT. These things add up. Um, and so you need to be ready to uh, be able to support an associate for the number of years it takes for them to, you know, build up enough new revenue to be supporting themselves. And depending on what area you're practicing in, if you've been doing, you know, enough work for a veterinarian and a half, they're gonna start at a half veterinarian. And to build that up is probably gonna take several years. So you need to be able to, um, you know, fund them. They're not gonna make you money for several years. And so sadly, um, if, their lives are full of stress and they're working, you know, six or seven days a week and half the emergency at the end of those two years that they're finally pulled in enough work and clients that they're paying for themselves, they may be exhausted and bummed out and ready to take a job at Banfield and leave you. And then you're going to be bummed out. Yeah. <laughs> um, after investing in this person. And so it's very, very important that the lifestyle that you are offering in your position be a lifestyle that um, newer veterinarians, younger veterinarians, the lifestyle that they want, not the lifestyle you want them to have, but the lifestyle they want. Because right now, new graduates are voting with their feet and they're voting, they don't want the lifestyle that is currently equine practice. And, you know, I think that's still, um, I still hear this when just in, in hallway conversations, so to speak, is, oh, you got to pay your dues. I had to pay my dues. You know, you got to work these. You got to be willing. This young generation's not willing to work. Well, I, I think you have talked about this in the past. As generations change, so do the life goals of those generations. And what would you say about the millennials and beyond who are coming up to take over equine practice? I love them. I think that they um, really have their heads on straight and they have watched their elders and seen some of the mistakes that we've made. Um, I think that they value having time with the people that they love, like maybe their kids, their spouse, their parents, their family members, their friends, 
they value lifelong education and that might not be all learning a new way to inject a joint. It might be that they want to learn Chinese or, you know, they really enjoy staying physically fit and seeing beautiful places in the world or they like to travel. They want to have a full, well-balanced life um, and have not have regrets about time that they wish they'd spent away from work. So they want different things. And unless equine practice is ready to be flexible and offer something that is attractive to them, they're going to vote with their feet and not choose it. I remember one male veterinarian of a certain age saying to me, you know, oh, well, you know, I think these young generations, they don't work as hard as we worked when we were there. But then again, maybe if I'd had some of I don't know what he called it, that that those ideas, those life goals, I wouldn't be twice divorced now. Right. Yep. I mean, I think that that's every generation is brought up with with sort of different value systems, different things are going on in the world. Um, and, you know, the millennials, they saw the Twin Towers fall when they were many of them in elementary school. Um, I think they have a sense um, that life can be fleeting and that just because you work hard doesn't mean that life's going to be fair to you. Um, and so they kind of want to have their pleasure along the way, not waiting for that elusive time when they retire. And now the now we're going to have fun. They want to have fun now, today, tomorrow, next week, you know, in little aliquots along with hard work. Um, the young veterinarians that I know are stellar. They are hard workers and they are care about their clients and they do a great job. But they want to live now, too. Yeah, good point. And okay. so back, back to back to associates, right? You have to understand um, that they want different things than maybe you wanted when you were starting your career. And if you can offer them a position that allows them to have the life that they're seeking in equine practice, um, they could be very successful for you. Uh, that's a that's a great point to end on. So we'll. Thank you very much, Dr. Grice, for talking to us about this really important topic. It's can you afford an associate, but more and beyond that. And we want to thank our listeners for joining us for the Business of Practice podcast. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Decra Veterinary Products. We invite you to visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network to hear each episode of the Business of Practice. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can send an email to me at kbrown at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network. 